Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. In this episode, we will talk about platforms versus protocol. So what is a platform? A platform is something like Facebook, Booking.com, Airbnb, Instagram, Amazon, Google, or many, many others. You get you get the point here. A platform is something you can do stuff on top of. In that sense, it's a platform. You can do activities. It's not something you can just look at or read. You can actually build stuff. You can interact with people, etc. So in my definition for this episode of platform, I mean a place where you can basically work. The platform provides you all the instruments needed to do some kind of activity. And the platforms I mentioned are centralized in the sense that there's a company making all the hard work to let you do your own work on top of them. And being a company, the end goal is to basically make money. So they build a platform for you, you use the platform, and they extract part of the value you create. And of course, you created this value thanks to the platform itself. So it's fair to say that there's a kind of collaboration between you and the platform to create stuff, and everybody gets something out of it. I want to be very clear, platforms are not evil. They are just businesses which create an environment in which you can do your own stuff. So it could be said that a platform is a place online where you can do stuff. And this place is made by a company. A protocol is something similar, but there's no company behind so a protocol is a place or allows the building of places where we can do things. But the protocol itself, yes, it's been built by people, but there's no company extracting money out of it. So for instance, email is a protocol. The internet is a set of protocols. Even podcasts, in a way, are protocols. So protocols are more a set of rules everybody agrees on. So if we ask ourselves, how can we exchange messages? And somebody goes like, okay, let's use SMTP. Let's use this protocol. And because everybody agrees to use the same and everybody knows how it works, we can actually have email. And there's no company behind the email. The email protocol does not need a company to exist. On top of this protocol, there can be companies like Gmail, managed by Google, is an email service on top of the email protocol. But if Google shuts down, if Gmail shuts down, we can still have email. If every email address, every email service dies tomorrow, after tomorrow, we can just rebuild it as long as we remember how to do it and we agree to use the same rules. So protocols are, in a way, a set of rules everybody agrees to, to use. So protocols are very resilient. Um, it's just, you know, let's just remember how email is done. Let's just remember 
how the internet works, and even if it dies, we can rebuild it. Platforms are not that resilient. If um, an OTA disappears tomorrow, you cannot just rebuild it um, because all the data is gone too and it cannot be recovered. So if uh, the OTA you're using shuts down tomorrow, you lose everything in it. Protocols and platforms are different and both serve certain use cases. In some use cases, it's better to have protocols. In other use cases, it's better to have platforms. Let's see the, the main differences. First of all, the point of failure aspect. Platforms have a point of failure. If a company creates a platform and then the company dies, the platform usually dies too, while the protocol doesn't have this point of failure. So for things which we think should be resilient, we should better use protocols. Platforms generate a lot of concentration of power, and we know this in the travel industry, how OTAs are very powerful. Protocols distribute the power, or at least do not concentrate it, and then the fight for power happens on top of them. Again, the internet is a set of protocols, and on top of those protocols, there are platforms like the OTAs, and the fight for the power is at the OTA level not at the internet level. Nobody's fighting in the travel industry to control HTTP, FTP, and, and all these protocols we use. And then value extraction. So any company building a platform tries to extract value to get money and pay for the development and pay for the investment. Protocols are free. The email protocols are free. The internet protocols are free. Somebody actually wrote them and it's open source. People really worked on them, but they didn't sell them. They didn't put any uh, royalty on them. We use email for free. We use the internet for free. What we pay on the internet is not the internet itself, is the connectivity and other things. So every time there's a platform which gives you value, you have to share a bit of this value with the platform itself. And every time there's a protocol, it's completely free. When Google started, well, Google did it a lot. It tried many times to get into the travel industry, but recently they started competing with the OTAs, right? And many people were happy about, oh, finally we have Google, finally we have a different system, etc. which is true in a way. I mean, Google does things differently and opened up competition probably. So it's been, or it will be a net positive, but we have to remember Google is still a platform. So Google will find a way to make money out of this. Yeah, they may not charge commissions, but they're gonna use the data and sell the data, etc., And they are going to have power over their users as much as the OTAs have power over the users. So when you have a, limited number of competing platforms in the travel industry and a new platform comes in, yes, it can change things, but it's not really a big revolution. It's still a company which is trying to make money in some way or another. The value extraction element is still there. Another main difference is that platforms are centralized and protocols are decentralized. So. WebTree is a set of protocols. Cryptocurrencies are protocols. That's why they are decentralized. Or to be more correct, that's why they can be decentralized. There are plenty of not decentralized cryptocurrencies or WebTree projects. 
but a network like Bitcoin or Ethereum is decentralized. And again, let's be clear, nothing is really decentralized 100%, but they are mostly decentralized and they are on that end of the spectrum. So if protocols are decentralized and cheaper and they don't have control over us, why don't we use protocols everywhere? Well, because protocols are not efficient as platforms. Think about the email. Email is decentralized, but maybe it's not the best way to communicate in every case. In some cases, instant messaging is much better. And instant messaging is mostly provided by platforms, by centralized companies. Yes, there are decentralized instant messaging systems, but they were not that successful. Why? Because they're not that efficient. They're not that user-friendly. Because in order to keep the decentralization, there are trade-offs. And often these trade-offs are in the UX, in the easiness of use, in the speed, etc. So platforms tend to be more efficient, more user-friendly, faster, cheaper in the short term, and more expensive in the long term. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. So uh, Twitter is cheaper, more efficient faster than any decentralized social network until it gets very expensive when maybe your account is shut down. So deplatforming is that event, hopefully rare, even if it's getting in general more common, where you realize that it was free, but now you're paying the ultimate price. Think about the uh, Russian Instagrammers who lost completely access to their accounts, or I don't know what happened. I guess they cannot access Instagram anymore. It was free, it was cheap, it was super efficient, and now it's nothing. All the work, it's gone. And this happened now to the Russian Instagrammers. It could happen tomorrow to anybody who says the wrong words and loses completely access to what they've been building for years. So centralized platforms are cheaper until they become extremely expensive. And this is like the same thing which happens when Airbnb shuts down an account because something happens and then, you know, it was not free, but it was more efficient than any decentralized alternative like direct bookings. Direct bookings are a kind of a decentralized alternative to centralized bookings from OTAs. And the moment you are deplatformed from Airbnb, you realize, yes, it was faster and cheaper. I didn't have to worry about a lot of things. But ultimately, it's very expensive because I spent maybe five years building my reviews and now they're gone. At the other end of the spectrum, we have the protocols, which are harder to emerge. It's really hard to build the protocol because even the best protocol, if it doesn't get used, it's worthless. A protocol is like a language. You can write a new kind of language which is better than English, right? Or maybe Esperanto was a protocol of languages. And it turns out that nobody is using it while everybody is using English. So maybe Esperanto was better, but English took over. So English is today the protocol of communication in the world. And it didn't emerge because it's better. It emerged because, you know, historical reasons. The, the, the British Empire helped this language become the international language. And it doesn't really matter if you're using Esperanto, French, or, or English as an international language. What matters is that we have an international language. So if you want to be able to communicate 
with the highest number of people in the world, you learn English. And the world is much better off by having a shared language. And imagine having a language which is built by a company and the company is actually successful in convincing the whole world that this language is the international language and everybody uses it. But because it's made by a company, every time you use it, you have to pay. And if you say the right, the wrong words, you can't use it anymore and you're out of the system. It's, of course, a dystopian scenario. So protocols ideally should be completely neutral. They shouldn't have any kind of political or company aspect in them. So once we have a protocol, we are all better off, right? It's harder to emerge, it's less usable, it's more expensive, it is often slower, but it's free, free in the sense of no cost, but also especially in the sense of no control, which means freedom. So platforms are like walled gardens. You need to be admitted to it. You need to be kept inside, but if something goes wrong, you are out, or often you can you cannot even get in, while protocols are open fields and do what you want with them. So do we have travel protocols today? Yes, yes and no. So there are shared ways on which we agreed on how to communicate, right? Like GDS systems kind of are standards. So protocols are standards. And there are standards in the travel industry but more often than not, they are proprietary standards. So they create a lot of fragmentation. Think about the ICAL protocol. Okay, ICAL is a system which allows for calendars to talk to each other. And it's an open protocol. And it's being used by, for instance, the OTAs, which communicate with each other to sync the calendars. And they allow, in a way, in a slow way, they allow for every OTA to have this sync calendars. The alternative are channel managing systems, but then you have to pay a company. It has to be integrated. It gets fragmented very quickly. While with iCal, any OTA can just decide, okay, let's integrate iCal. So we will have all our bookings synced. And we can also sync our bookings on other platforms. It's just better for everybody. But we don't have many protocols because the whole travel industry is made by companies and each company tries to keep the data siloed, right? So why am I talking about this in the context of Web3? Because Web3 is basically the internet saying, okay, let's make more protocols. Let's use protocols for more things things which today are sold by companies, let's solve them at the internet layer level. Which means let's make things free, open, and reliable and resilient. For instance, NFTs are a protocol which can be used for bookings. It's not been invented for the travel industry. It's been invented as a primitive but the travel industry can take this protocol and say, okay, let's consider bookings now, NFTs, and let's use this open system to transfer the value of the bookings themselves. And this opens an, an enormous number of 
use cases. So if NFTs become a shared way to use bookings, the whole travel industry completely changes at, at the very core level. And we talked about NFTs a lot. So my question is, and it's a question nobody can answer, will we actually build travel-specific protocols? I mean, will we see a problem and try to build a protocol everybody agrees on? This has not happened in the travel industry for a long time. Again, because the whole Web2 is a corporative environment in which nobody actually wants to agree on anything. But with Web3, we will see, I'm pretty sure about this, new protocols emerge. And sometimes these protocols will be travel-specific. A few examples. We may want to have non-transferable NFTs. Like somebody may say, yeah, I like NFTs as bookings. But because I manage a kind of accommodation which requires to have the same person who booked to come at the place, I want to use non-transferable NFTs. So you can buy the NFT as a booking, but you cannot transfer it. So you cannot go on the secondary market. Or we may need NFTs which represent bookings, which can be transferred only until a week before the actual booking. Or maybe we want NFTs which can be transferred only from seven days before the booking, for any reason. Or maybe we're going to need some specific kind of NFT which includes on-chain the dates of the booking. We don't have these NFTs today. The NFT today doesn't have dates inside. You have to kind of attach them to the, the token. But we may build some new kind of token. And remember, NFTs are just tokens. So new kind of token which on-chain has the dates of the booking. And if someone builds it and everybody agrees to use it, then we have a new travel-specific protocol. Maybe we will want to make some expiring tokens which represent bookings so that after the checkout date, the token disappears or changes state or becomes something different. Maybe it becomes tokens for whatever reason. Maybe it becomes rewards points. Another example are escrow protocols. So, you know, when Airbnb gets the money from the guest and keeps it for the host until check-in, this is an escrow. Maybe, probably, we'll see the emergence of escrow protocols in which you can have an escrow service without having to deal with a company which keeps the money for you because everything is managed by smart contracts and, you know, a set of protocols. Maybe, hopefully, I would say, reviews become a protocol. So when you leave a review, you're not leaving it on the OTA. You leave it on the internet. And it leaves independently from the platform where you book from. In that case, reviews could be a new kind of token, which inside has also some text. Very expensive to do on-chain. Maybe the text is going to be on a decentralized storage system like Filecoin or IPFS or Airwave or whatever comes out, but having the reviews on the internet instead of on a company, that could be a really good advance because then new OTAs and new systems can actually use and display those reviews connected to the person who wrote the review and connected to the listing or the business which received the review. And the question is, 
are we simply going to use what crypto is building? Because crypto is building these kind of primitives for kind of itself, thinking about maybe DeFi, thinking about NFTs. But we will build some specific new kinds of, I call them tokens, but if they're new, they're probably going to be something else, which solve specific problems that we have. Like, how do we represent reviews? Are these going to be NFTs? Okay, maybe. Or do we need something different? Or a new kind of NFT? You know how tokens are called ERC20s? So what is ERC20? Well, this is Ethereum request for comment. ERC, Ethereum request for comments. So the ERC20, 20, 20 is the number of the request. So the ERC20 tokens that we use and are worth billions of dollars were born as a request for comments. So somebody made a request for comment for a token and people started using it. I don't know the exact process it went through, but it was a request for a standard and the standard picked up and now we have a standard for tokens. ERC721 is a later request for comment for NFTs. Someone said, okay, a token, but representing one thing. And it's being picked up by the network. And now we have NFTs. And then somebody said ERC1155, NFTs, but multiple. Okay. People liked it. People started to use it. And now we have this kind of NFTs. Someone will say ERC, whatever number, for reviews. And if it picks up, then we have a travel native new primitive for reviews. Is it going to happen? I don't know, but I think we are going to see travel specific and of course vertical specific for other industry requests for comment on the Ethereum network. Or maybe we go farther. Maybe somebody will spin up a travel specific blockchain. Maybe Ethereum is too expensive for travel. Maybe other blockchains are overused by other verticals. We want a travel specific blockchain, which is optimized for the travel industry. Or maybe we're going to have specific blockchains optimized for only reviews or only escrow or only listings and etc. etc. Whatever happens, I think we can safely bet that we are going to have a lot of protocols in the travel industry and every protocol eats away a little bit of the power of the platforms. What before was made by companies now is made by the network. What before was a service from a company and a platform, now it's a service provided by the internet itself. The tension here is not between companies and crypto, is between companies and the internet. In the same way as before for a phone call, you had to pay a company and today for a phone call, you're basically using the internet for free. This is the trend and this is the direction we are going to. You can place yourself in the travel industry in a very innovative position in which you are the one who actually proposes a new protocol or you can go a bit more down the line and say, okay, I'm going to be ready to experiment and use these new protocols as soon as they come out or even farther down the line and say, okay, I'm going to use them when they're mainstream. 
So an image I have here is the internet growing and the companies receding a little bit and accepting that the internet is just bigger than them and giving away some things they do today. Like Airbnb is very strong on the escrow. A long time from now, Airbnb won't do escrow anymore because escrow now is a, is a protocol and is simply done by the internet itself. And in a way, this is a problem less for Airbnb. They don't have to worry about all that money anymore. It's managed by the internet. They can focus on improving other parts of their platforms. So as the internet keeps releasing into the wild solutions for everyone to use, companies will be able to focus more on the parts which the internet cannot do. And while the main trend in the last decades has been the digitalization of travel, which basically meant let's go from offline to online, the trend in the next decade is going to be the protocolization of travel, which means let's go from online to on-chain in a way. On-chain is not the real, the best technical term because on-chain basically means written on the blockchain and we try to write as little as we can on the blockchain. Let's use on-chain in the sense of doing things through the blockchain. So what you can do if you want to innovate into this space is look at what we have today. All those companies and all those platforms providing valuable services to the travel industry and ask yourself, okay, what parts of these businesses can be protocoled? What parts will be taken away from them and dealt by the internet? And what parts instead will stay with the company? And that helps you imagine the future. And it helps you also bet on you know, what part of the business uh, do. So let's say that Airbnb won't need anymore to deal with um, escrow and won't need to deal with reviews anymore because now the internet does it. Well, then maybe if you have, if you are Airbnb, you can focus on other aspects which the internet cannot do, or won't be able to do for the next 50 years. While if you make the mistake of fighting this strong trend, you're probably going to waste a lot of energy in trying to stop something which cannot be stopped. If you are an individual, what you can do is to think, okay, I'm sure these parts will be made into protocols. I can work on making this happen. So I can launch a startup which makes reviews a protocol, which makes reviews a kind of new token. You can be a lone developer actually proposing a new standard. Once you understand these dynamics, well, then it's just a choice of where to go and, and, and start building things. Let's see how OTAs will go through this wave of innovation. So what, what do OTAs do, right? So they offer listings. You can go on an OTA and see listings. Is this something which will become standardized? It could be because why am I building the same listing twice on different OTAs? Why don't we have a protocol for listings? Well, maybe somebody will create a protocol for listing on chain. So you create your listing as a token, as an NFT, as a listing, and on chain you have all the main aspects of the listing. So the name, the description, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now, as I was mentioning, there's no way you can do this on Ethereum because writing some text on Ethereum will cost you a lot of money. So maybe there's going to be a specific blockchain for listings, and then each listing is an NFT. Same things goes with price management. Uh, why are prices written in databases? Can we write prices on-chain? Well, on-chain is immutable, so no. Can we store them on IPFS? Maybe yes, also immutable, maybe not the best way. So are prices a part of the business of the travel industry which can be protocolized? Probably yes. Standardized? I'm sure this will be very useful. Can they go on chain? Maybe not, because they have to change all the time. Same goes for availability. Availability changes all the time. It's not something you want to put on a blockchain. But maybe you can keep the availability in signatures. So something which is not written on the blockchain, but is kind of available openly on a shared network. A bit like the iCal, which is stored on a server. Well, the iCal could be stored on a decentralized system or on a signature, maybe. I'm not sure. And we could go on a long time. Like dispute management. Today, Airbnb has person who judges the, the issue which happened in your accommodation. Tomorrow, it could be decentralized. There's a company, I may talked about it before. It's Kleros. They, they talked yesterday at the United Nations. It's about dispute management. We can have the internet, the collective effort of people online on the internet to decide about specific disputes in accommodations. So instead of having one person which decide, you have a set of a few people and they decide and then on-chain they decide where the money goes, who made the mistake, etc. We have Theorize this in the white paper of Trips Community, for instance. So to sum it up, we have a world of platforms in travel today. We will have more and more protocols. Platforms will become thinner and less powerful. Protocols will become more the backbone, the infrastructure of travel. And things will change. They will change a lot. Especially when the thinking goes from, okay, what problem do we have in travel? This problem, great, I'm going to launch a startup, raise some money, and create a company, and then maybe a platform or a service. And it goes from there to, okay, what problem do we have in travel? Okay, what protocol can solve this problem? What standard can solve this problem? So when most people will go from, let's create a company which solves the problem, and then extracts money out of the solution, we will go to let's create something for free, which is a protocol, maybe tokenize it so to reward the builders and the first adopters and everybody who believes into the solution, but where the end result, the end product is an open protocol, which is a public good, something everybody can use and it's just there for free like a blockchain. Again, a blockchain is a public good. You pay to use it because you're paying the miners, but it's still, it's a free public good. You can make a new one and don't pay anything. Even if I don't think free blockchains will ever exist because if you do free transactions, then you have spam, but that's another story. So we can expect a whole cultural shift, a mega shift from 
let's build startups to solve problems to let's build protocols to solve problems. And this will finally maybe solve the extreme fragmentation travel is suffering from and is always been suffering from. And this will allow us to go in a more cooperative world where we do things together and we extract value out of our work in a different way. Because let's be clear about this. This is not about a socialist approach to the, to the problem. It's not about let's somebody work hard and everybody else have free access to the hard work they did. This is let somebody work hard. Let's even the individual work hard and try to bring a solution. And if they bring a solution, they can profit from it through the tokenization. They don't need to build a startup and raise money from investors. They can simply build a system. And also, it will allow people to say, no, I don't even want to make money out of it. All I want to do is create a standard and, and because I need a standard to do my own things, right? And the way people are awarded for their contribution is simply different. The person who built the ERC721 standard, which is the NFT, is a person called Dieter Shirley from Dapper Labs from Canada. This person didn't make a dime on the standard, but I'm sure he had plenty of opportunities to make some money by being early in this, in this space. So plus the satisfaction of having created something as big as NFTs. So Web3 has ways to reward people who study, learn, and build open stuff. Building public goods always pays off in the longer term. So I really hope we will see in travel this kind of new culture to, to come out. Let's build stuff everybody can use. Let's build free stuff, standards, and protocols. And let's move away from this platform-centric approach to the travel space. Traveling as, as a human activity is about discovering and sharing and being open. So let's hope we can bring this to the infrastructure level too. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at TripLuca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A, and see you next time.